Welcome to the latest in our Work Life 2.0 podcast series. My name is Caroline Stroud, a partner based in Freshfield's London office. And today, our topic of discussion is employee activism and the new world of labour relations. In recent years, employee activism has become far more fluid than in the past when unions organised sit-ins and strikes on pay or benefits. In 2018, employees of a large tech co in the US hit the headlines when they staged a mass walkout in protest at the way the company had dealt with widespread claims of sexual harassment and racism. Employee activism has increased in volume and in the breadth of subject matter that it deals with. And COVID-19 has given it a particular focus. For employers, employee activism can be positive, resulting in cultural change, but it needs to be carefully managed. Today, we're going to explore ways to help employers respond to employee activism to achieve positive and beneficial results. I am very lucky today to be joined by a very knowledgeable and international panel to speak about this subject. Uh, I have Boris Seder, a partner in Hamburg, Sarah Solem, a partner in Silicon Valley on the west coast of the US, Olivia Radin, a partner in New York, and David Mendel, a senior associate based in London. So to start, Sarah, I wonder if you, sitting in the west coast of America, could tell us a little bit more about what employee activism really is. Sure. We use employee activism as an umbrella term to mean any action taken by the workforce of a company in protest against something the company's involved in. Traditionally, the kinds of things that employees complained about or protested related to things that were more personal to the employees, like compensation, employee conditions, and benefits. There's quite a tradition outside of the U.S. and more outside of the U.S. that Boris can probably talk about. But what's interesting today is that employee activism is tackling topics that are much broader than personal terms and working conditions. So what we're seeing here on the West Coast is employees raise concerns about issues that are much broader, that are social in nature, that have to do with business ethics, and that are really far away from the classic labor relations landscape. And we've seen a lot of this in the tech sector, but we've also seen it expand into other areas, which we'll touch on later in this podcast. So Boris, sitting on the other side of the world, what do you think employee activists are really trying to do? And could you give some examples of employee activism in Europe? Employees' demands vary from their treatment within the company to more political and social topics, as Sarah said. In both cases, the activists typically want to do something that draws attention to the issue to force a change. Here are some examples to show what sorts of concerns were raised. The most recent example comes from Ford. In June this year, the CEO of Ford received a letter from company's employees demanding that he stops manufacturing police vehicles. That demand followed the killing of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests. Or another example, employees of social media platforms have requested that management adjust content moderation rules for messages posted by public figures. 
Other examples include employees protesting against services being given to government departments where those services are seen to be supporting policies that the employees don't approve of, like censorship or immigration controls, or employees protesting that their employer has business relationships with the fossil fuel industry. Whatever the issue, what the employees activists actually want is to influence their own employer's policies and actions in the wider community and to have an impact on public opinion. They might also want to get attention from the media and governments so that the issue they are raising can be changed. This is also not just limited to employees. We are seeing it in the gig economy. Here the situation is slightly different because unlike in the tech sector, it might be issues around pay and conditions that are being raised. For this category of worker, activism is sometimes the only possible way to raise concerns on a group basis because organizing together to form a union may not be possible or permitted. This may change in the future, at least in the European Union, with the European Commission having launched a consultation to address the issue of collective bargaining for the self-employed. This might allow gig workers to collectively bargain for their rights, which would be a huge change. We've obviously said that the trend for employee activism started in the tech companies, but we can see that that is now expanding to other sectors. I wondered, Olivia, if you had a view as to why it did start in the tech sector. Thanks, Caroline. It's difficult to be sure why this trend originated in the tech se sector. There are probably several reasons that are based on the makeup of the workforce in the tech sector and the nature of the industry. And I have some of my own theories as well. You know, one is that the tech sector to many represents change itself. It's changing the way we're working and interacting with each other. And so I think as a cultural matter, people who are drawn to that sector, in addition to being highly educated and skilled, have been drawn by the culture of the tech sector and part of their work identity is making change. So I think it's natural for that workforce to think also in broader terms, both about how their products affect our society, but also what's happening in our society and, and how they can contribute to, to those changes. So I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing employee activism come out of the tech sector And then just as the tech sector has catalyzed change in many ways, I think we're seeing that change carry over to other sectors as well. Those in the tech sector generally have good working conditions and salaries. As Sarah said, activism in this context is not about improving your pay, your benefits, but it's about wider issues. And because workers in the tech sector are generally well-paid and we're really covering all workers, regardless of what their specific arrangements are, they have the time, the energy, and the resources to focus on these issues um, and to try to contribute to them. Second, many tech businesses are really people businesses. The engineers, The developers and the people with specific and highly sought after skills are really essential to the success of these companies. And that means that they may have a position in the workforce in terms of supply and demand where they can use that to leverage their position and seek to cause change to happen. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, tech companies are really at the heart of lots of societies now. They have the power 
and the influence to affect change. And so if you work in that space, you may become accustomed to being in that place in our society and think about how you can cause your employer to behave in a particular way to amplify certain goals. And so, Sarah, one of the things I was wondering about is why now? Why is it that, you know, in 2018, 2019, 2020, we've seen an increase in employee activism? What, what's the driver for this point in time? I think there are a few reasons, and one of them is generational. We're seeing a shift in generational values. Generation Y seems to care more about the big picture, and they seem to care about that more than their own personal interests. And they're more likely to view or to, to voice their views, certainly compared to Generation X, my generation, and the baby boomer generation. And in fact, 40% of employees at US-based Fortune 1000 companies say that a company's actions on important societal issues impact their decision to work there. Another reason that I think employee activism is much more active now relates to top-down inspiration from the CEOs. CEOs are really active on social media, and I think more than in prior generations, they CEOs are expressing their views on social matters, on political matters, and they're also encouraging employees to ask direct questions. Certainly here in the tech sector, there's a high value on uh, transparency and, in, and engagement with employees. And it's very normal for companies to have regular town hall meetings and company Q&A sessions. And so I, I think that fuels it. And the third thing is investors are focused on many of these things as well. It's in the the air and in the ether to focus on stakeholders, including employees. And I think all of that encourages employees to speak up on issues that matter to them. And also it's easy for employees to speak with each other through Slack channels and other, other means. David, can you comment on the generational sort of differences being, I don't know which generation you are, but I don't think you're a baby boomer or Generation X. Thank you, Caroline. And, and yes, I'm a, I'm a much uh, maligned millennial. And um, I mean, I think the point that Sarah made is really interesting on the generational change. Uh, we have recently conducted at Freshfields a, a survey of trends in whistleblowing. And that survey supports exactly what Sarah just said. Uh, younger workers, in fact, anyone under the age of 35, it is more likely to have blown the whistle or to have had someone blow the whistle to them than anyone who's older than 35. And, and I think it must be the case that that is driven by the slightly different cultural values of millennials and those generations um, who come after them as compared with others. And there will be more about that whistleblowing survey on the, on the Freshfields website soon. So, Sarah, one of the things, obviously, that's impacted the world in recent months to an incredibly deep degree, uh, changed behaviours in the workplace and changed the way that we work is COVID-19. I wondered how you felt COVID-19 had impacted on what we've been discussing so far. So employee activism, but also the wish for employees to sort of be aligned with the values of 
of their of their employer. Thanks, Caroline. Like lots of work, I see this as just moving more online. I think employees are finding ways to make an impact, perhaps even more of an impact. For example, disconnecting from their company's systems at a pre-agreed time. We saw this in the music industry as part of the Black Lives Matter protests when employees participated in Blackout Tuesday. And I think this trend will no doubt continue as WFH or work from home, as we, as we call it, becomes the new normal. Also, health and safety issues, given the pandemic, are likely to become a focus for activists, especially as we return to the office environment, as will environmental and sustainability issues. Because one thing the global pandemic has done has caused people to see some of the positive impacts of reducing travel and reducing companies' carbon footprint. And I think we're likely to see employees hold companies accountable for their environmental and social and and other ESG targets. Also, diversity and inequality, particularly race discrimination, I think will remain a top priority for activists. So activists are not using traditional bargaining or trade union models to achieve changes in pay or changes in working conditions. But how far can they really go to effect change where they aren't organised in any formal way? And and Boris, given that Germany is quite an organised workplace with collective bargaining very well entrenched, what do you think that employee activists working outside that framework can can actually achieve? Without being formally organized, there may be limits to what activists can achieve. As an example, in some jurisdictions, only trade unions may call a strike. Otherwise, the strike is illegal. The current tactics of the activists have led to mixed reactions. Some businesses have agreed to the requested changes and adjustments and others have refused to do this and have even sanctioned activists for breaches of contractual obligations. Without traditional employment law protection, at least as we have in Europe, employees activists are limited in what they can achieve. So Olivia, what should employers do in response to employee activism in their workplace to achieve a positive, positive and meaningful outcome from a sort of mass employee speak out, if you want to call it that. Thanks, Caroline. You know, clearly it will depend on what the movement is and what the issues are that the activists are focused on. Whatever the situation, I think this ties pretty closely to the discussions of culture we have with companies all the time around a slew of issues and thinking about the cultural impact on the company of the activism and using the tools that a company would use to drive the culture in a way that's productive for everybody, I think is one way to think about it. But in any event, companies will need a tailored approach um, depending on the issues that have been raised and the methods that have been deployed. As a general rule, employers should assess the demands that have been raised or the issues that have been put into focus and generally try to be responsive and consistent. The The reason to be responsive, and of course, the company will need to think about what the issues are and how those issues fit with its business, is that in many ways, if you have employee activism 
that is broadly supported among your employee base, it will be in the best interest of the company to meet in the middle with the activists and to try to accommodate the interests that your employers employees are showing. So coming back to the example of Ford earlier, the CEO responded to and engaged with the employee activists with a balanced message. And this helps to bring everyone together behind a unified view of what the company can accomplish, sometimes on issues that are closely related to the company and sometimes at issues that are broader about society as a whole. So if you are um, not going to change something in response to activism, this should also be communicated really clearly and promptly. And if you are going to do something, conversely, then it's similarly important to make a commitment and to be aware that you will be held to it. So once you've put out your response, sticking to what you said and ensuring that you can't be accused later of hypocrisy are really important. Serious problems can arise, for example, if you make a commitment to climate change initiatives in one area of the business, but continue to work with, you know, or, or conduct your business in a way that is inconsistent with that commitment in another area of your business. And as we've seen in different movements, claims of hypocrisy can be as damaging as the substantive claims themselves. So in reality, businesses have some very difficult decisions to make on these topics. And it's about clear communication, giving employees the opportunity to raise their own opinions and to challenge decisions and to contribute to decisions that are made, and then explaining the final position. Of course, you know, this does not apply to a situation where the activism goes beyond a peaceful protest. You know, if you have people damaging property in the rare instance that might occur, you should take a different approach. But I think to the extent people are organizing a social media blackout, as Sarah mentioned, or refusing to work for a period of time, and they have a point they want to get across, it's important for the company to listen and respond to that point. So, David, we've seen some reports of employers punishing employees by taking disciplinary action or imposing some form of restriction on them by reason of having been part of a, an activism movement. That sounds quite extreme to me, particularly where we see Olivia suggesting that you know there should be meat in the middle and there should be consistency and responsiveness. What do you think in respect of potential sanctions and also how can employers manage an employee activism movement which has got out of control, is no longer reasonable? How, how do they manage that situation? Well, I think there are two questions that um, any employer would have to answer here. The first is clearly, can, can you take, for example, disciplinary action against the relevant employees in the, in the jurisdiction in question, and then a really separate and, uh, as as Olivia suggested, difficult question on whether you should be taking that sort of action. Uh, clearly, the legal regime of the country where the employees are engaging in activism will drive what can be done, and the reason why you might want to think about those sorts of steps is because activism uh, often happens during normal working times or is at least organised during normal working time and often uses the employer's IT system. So it might be sending calendar invitations or sending emails, organising meetings, using uh, the employer's meeting spaces. And in some jurisdictions, that could well give rise to employment law issues. So using the employer's 
resources or engaging in non-work activities during working time. Uh, And take it one step further, uh, uh, something like a walkout uh, could well be an illegal strike or it could violate internal policies or individual employment contracts. And all of those sorts of activities probably would be grounds to take disciplinary action. But for all of the reasons that Olivia explained in particular about trying to meet in the middle with activists, employers need to think really carefully before they take uh, disciplinary steps. I mean, I do wonder whether actually it's better for employers to have a strong policy against retaliation uh, for people who are raising concerns either about the workplace or, or, or things that the employer may be involved in, accepting that that might encourage activism, but it sends the right message and, and employers do need to think about their other obligations that they owe under employment law to treating whistleblowers fairly, for example. So there's a real balance here. And I think employers don't want to box themselves in. They need to leave themselves some room for flexibility so that they can react to the way in which the activism in their particular scenario um, takes, takes shape. So that was one idea, David, in respect of having a very strong policy and message against retaliation. But Sarah, I wondered whether there were other things which employers can do to prepare themselves for activism in an area which is pretty new and there's not a lot of guidance out there. What, what would you suggest employers do? Sure, you're, I totally agree. There's not a lot of guidance here, but a few suggestions. First, to David's point, it is worth reviewing existing policies and internal systems for any sort of whistleblowing activity to ensure that proper escalation and reporting policies are in place and to give employees, all employees, a controlled platform to raise their concerns. And I think that's even more important in this work from home environment. Other suggestions. First, mission statements and other policies should make clear to employees what the company's values are and what the company's culture stands for. This can help channel employees' concerns and might prevent them from raising issues that the company simply can't really do anything about. Second suggestion, revisit and refresh these and other ESG or corporate responsibility policies on an ongoing basis. I think that's important because it will help ensure that a company's policies align with the views of their workforce and their other stakeholders. And third, consider proactively engaging with the workforce, much like the tech company town hall meetings I described earlier. This can help serve as a global employee forum and give voice to employees and perhaps a controlled voice to employees regarding the company's corporate values and projects and other matters that they deem important. It can be difficult to keep these forums focused, so it is important to adopt a proper strategy to deal with requests that the company wants to decline. But nonetheless, I think that these employee forums can be quite valuable. Well, thank you very much um, to all the panel. That's been such an interesting discussion about 
this new phenomenon of employee activism outside the traditional frameworks of, of labour law. I wanted to thank you all for such an interesting discussion and also to remind anyone who is listening that this podcast and a briefing on employee activism can be found on Freshfield's Work Life 2.0 microsite on our internet page.